What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, restorative justice making progress in some schools, your thoughts on camping versus glamping, and the New York Times spends yet another 36 hours in Chicago. Here with me to make sense of it all is lead producer Simone Alisea. It's Tuesday, October 3rd. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Morning, Simone. How you feeling? I'm doing okay. How are you? I am putting on a smile despite all of the the hurt feelings I have deep, deep inside because of Chicago sports organizations. But hey, I'm here to push through. I'm here to push through. We got other things to talk about, Jacoby. It'll be fine. <laughs> we do. We do. And, and one really is on a positive note. And it's in, in the same vein as our conversation last Friday uh, with Adora from WBEZ about positive news coming out of schools. That conversation was really about improved test scores. And this one has been about a a decades plus long push to introduce restorative justice practices into Chicago public schools to move away from suspensions, expulsion, and uh, a new study from the University of Chicago has has some good news here, Simone. What, what are we learning from this latest reporting? Yeah, so the folks at the University of Chicago looked at um, whether restorative justice practices, which as you said, have sort of been pushed and and slowly introduced into Chicago public schools over the past several years. Um, what effect has it had on suspensions? What effect has it had on arrests of students? And what effect has it had on sort of students' overall well-being? Uh, and the results are looking really good. In schools that have adopted some of these practices, suspensions went way, way, way down from nearly 50,000 in the 2013-2014 school year to less than 10,000 in the 2021-2022 school year. Student arrests have fallen by 35% in that, you know, roughly 10-year period. Out-of-school arrests dropped by 15%. Um, So, you know, what it's showing is uh, that it's doing the thing that restorative justice advocates said it would do. It would mean fewer students would be suspended, Uh, and fewer students would be arrested, which, you know, is important for several reasons, but, but chiefly among them, the reason that this was such a big push for so long is when students are suspended, you know, when they're not in class, what else are those students doing? What other resources do those students have during the day when they're being kept out of school? Um, often this is sort of, and it's particularly around like arrests in schools when students are arrested by police officers in schools, right? 
what effect does that have on their trajectory later on? This is often referred to as the school to prison pipeline, right? When you are being punished in school in these really sort of punitive ways, um, again, particularly in ways that take you out of class, outside of the school setting, or bring law enforcement into it, it, it ends up set, setting you up for, for failure in the end, because you are then sort of taken out of the system where you would have like supports and things to do. And, and you know, you'd be learning and, and doing all the things we expect and want kids to be doing. Yeah, and for people who might not be familiar, coming straight out of the study, restorative justice is typically looked at as restorative practices uh, in a school context. It could be restorative conversations. It can be peer juries. Uh, they talk about peace circles. Uh more times than not, it's about bringing together the parties involved in whatever language you use, whether that's victim, offender, you know, perpetrator, the person who has received harm, the person doing the harm. Um, and, and, and it's about trying to engender some sense of, of shared justice, some sort of collective practice that is more than just kicking students out of class, that is more than just arresting students, suspending students. Um, you know, I grew up in a time when there were no conversations the, our options pretty much were call your parent, put you in the hallway or suspend you. And I've gone through every single one of those sort of punitive processes um, just short of a police officer being asked to engage in a classroom. And, you know, I think students in my elementary school, students in my high school would have benefited from just a more thoughtful process beyond what felt like everyone trying to uh, sort of get things done as quickly as possible. How did the study go about surveying schools? What what is the data they looked at to come to these conclusions? Yeah. So obviously they're they're tracking um they're tracking this in a certain set of schools. So basically what happened was during the 2013-2014 school year 10 years ago, uh 22 high schools and 34 elementary schools began implementing these restorative practices. And so what the University of Chicago Education Lab did was look at over that time then how many suspensions there have been and, and how many arrests. They also did things that I think are really so in addition to some of those numbers that we got. Um, there's also some qualitative data that I thought was really interesting. So, for example, they they talked with teachers at these schools and, you know, what they found was early on, a lot of teachers and, and parents and, and adults sort of were skeptical of, you know, would this really work? Would this end? Would we end Somebody up? Somebody called it fluffy duffy stuff. Yeah. Fluffy duffy. Is this just fluffy duffy stuff? Right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the the fear being that you'd have these sort of unruly kids and you wouldn't have any way to deal with them and they would disrupt other students learning, right? That's that's sort of the fear. But what they found from these interviews is that that wasn't really the case. And the teacher who's quoted, you know, who called it that that sort of fluffy duffy stuff went on to become a restorative practices coach uh, in their school um, because they were so taken by by sort of the results they found. And that's the other thing, too, is some of this, in addition to, again, a, a reduction in suspensions, reduction in arrests, you also are seeing students who feel more a part of their school community. They feel, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a greater sense of belonging in the schools that that use these restorative practices. So it's sort of twofold, right? You, the numbers kind of bear it out, but also people are really feeling the difference um, from that traditional punishment model. Yeah, this report comes at a time that I think reminds people to expand how they think of public safety in schools, because for the last couple of years, the conversation really has been around what is the place of police officers in schools. And that push has slowed down. After 2020, you saw more schools getting rid of officers 
last year that was only two schools chose to get rid of. But throughout this time, we've seen the the amount of money spent drop dramatically. Before restorative justice practices took off, we were looking at $34 million a year down to what I think a contract is around $10 million. So we we have seen uh, in many cases money, th- that, that practice being defunded over the last few years as more schools vote. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, we hear this being expanded over the next couple of years, uh, especially as, you know, we talked at the around the first day of school, Illinois, Chicago in particular, really have to be paying attention to how they discipline students inside of schools. And I think these things go hand to hand, obviously. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you could transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. To a conversation we had last week on the podcast when we were doing our fall getaway guide, which honestly was a great idea, but now it's just got me wanting to go on a road trip, uh, wanted me to hop on Metro do something other than just <laughs> stare out on uh, on the weather right now. But uh, a conversation that we wanted to to bring the audience in on, bring the listener in on, is the camping versus glamping mentality. I think I made it very clear I'm more of a, a glamper at heart. I prefer to just to to relax, be easy, have some some uh, some heat, some AC, some showers readily available to me when I when I go out into nature. Um, you know, Simone, you've done more like actual backpacking, camping. You're more of a I'm trying to use the bathroom outside kind of person. I it's not the, I, so it's funny. I think it's funny to be living in Chicago and be the outdoorsy person uh, among (laughs) most people that I know, because when I lived in Seattle, that was not the case. I was, you know, uh, because I didn't want to go hiking at 7 a.m. every single weekend. (laughs) But yeah, I like to camp. I don't I don't mind. uh, I don't mind sleeping in a tent. I don't mind. uh, You know, I'll use the bathroom in the woods. It'll happen. It's, It's fine. It's great. And I love being outdoors. So, you know, what is CityCast listeners and Hey Chicago readers have to say? Yeah, so we did a poll in our Hey Chicago newsletter, which you can subscribe to at chicago.citycast.fm. And, you know, it's funny. We got um, a a good mix of people. First of all, no one said that they were neither. There was no one who responded who was like, no, I don't want to be. I don't want to sleep outside in any case. Uh, We got a mix of campers and glampers, about 50 percent of uh, respondents said they were both. They would do either. They they like both options. And then it was split evenly among people who were preferred camping or people who were like, no, I got to I got to glamp all the mm-hmm. way. Leah C wrote in. Uh, they they said both. 
saying uh, camping means sticking to body wipes to get the stench off after a long day's hike, whereas glamping means you'll get a nice shower and pillow. You know, it's funny. Um, (laughs) This reminds me of I went backpacking in Utah for two weeks when I was in Mm -hmm. high school. And I was like, just like in a canyon for two weeks. And so we smelled um, pretty, pretty ripe. Uh, and there's only so much, so many body wipes that you can take on a, in your backpack. And so we started to rub juniper on our clothes just to help with the smell. Um, I'm sure there is a native plant that could help you with that too. But I, that's what I think about when I think about trying to be. I'm not, oh, I'm not selling the backpacking for you, am I? <laughs> Nah, nah, <laughs> you lost me at right. Like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Again, I'm down to spend all day outside, like 100%. I'm down to be outside all day. But when the day comes to an end. There's got to be a shower at the end. Yeah, I got I to gotta have a shower uh, somewhere in there. But yeah, hey, for the people who are both, you know, more power to you, more power to you. I think Lauren M. agrees with you. Lauren M. uh, is a glamper and said that glamping means a cabin with modern plumbing, first and foremost. Maybe a spot or two uh, in or near the cabin with some decent cell service, AC or heat, depending on the season. Basically, just minimal discomfort, maximum cabin coziness. Uh, I have never, I've never really done the glamping. I feel like I would like to do it. There's, There's a couple of places near Starved Rock and like, mm-hmm. Starved Rock is supposed to be so beautiful. And I feel like that's the place where I'd really want to. It's nice. Like, I'd really want a cabin. I don't know why. Quentin also talked about uh, going up to Starved Rock um, and, and was leaning in that both sort of category. Yeah, yeah. Quentin said uh, the hustle and bustle plus infuriating traffic and air pollution of Chicago can be a real drag on my mood. So I love to take my adventurous golden retriever on day and overnight hikes. Uh, And Quentin had a bunch of recommendations uh, around the Midwest. So you mentioned Starved Rock in Illinois, but also Backbone State Park in Iowa, Yellow River State Forest in Iowa, also Ledges State Park in Iowa. I had no idea Iowa had so many parks. Uh, just by the way, new idea. Um, and then also Bean and Bear Lake in uh, Minnesota. So in addition to, uh, you should definitely go back and check out our episode we did with uh, the wonderful couple from Black People Outside, Cam Stanton and Chevy Lanier. Um, they had amazing recommendations. They also like literally lay out everything you need to get started uh, as a camper, mm-hmm. the equipment you'll need and kind of what you should be looking for. Uh, definitely go back and listen to that. And you can take these recs as well and have yourself just a beautiful fall camping trip, especially while it's still warm-ish, I guess. No, it's, it's feeling yeah, feeling decent out here. I wasn't too sleep on the Iowa, though, because, again, they listened to the episode. They know the homie Quentin sent us a very good yes, list that's of true. things to do over at Iowa City. He actually sent me a follow-up email with even more recommendations, which between this segment and... And the responses from people and, and Quentin's beautiful itinerary that he sent. It's a reminder. There are plenty of ways to reach out to City Cash Chicago. You could do it wherever you listen. And like that rating and review section, you can go to Chicago.CityCast.FM, subscribe to the newsletter and find all of our emails. Or you could text us at 773-780-0246. The last thing we're going to talk about today is the New York Times ability to somehow just throw a divide between Chicagoans. Uh, they 
came back with their 36 hours in Chicago series for the third time. And if you you see the link being shared on Twitter, it's everything from people loving some of the shout outs, whether it's their favorite bookstore or restaurant that they love or people saying, oh, Here's the New York Times again, not having a a really expansive view of the city past, maybe High Park or Woodline when we're thinking about the South Side. Uh, Simone, you went through the 36 hours. You looked at some of the key spots. What were your initial thoughts on the list? I was pretty uh, uh, pleased with the list personally. I think there's a lot of stuff here that we have talked about on the show. Um, at least one restaurant that like I think is kind of a it's like literally around the corner from my place. That's a uh, Kigolani in uh, Uptown makes Oaxacan food. And I think it's like a very like kind of sleeper pick. And so I, I, I think there are a couple of those uh, throughout. There are some basic ones, too. Um, you know, the the Art Institute and uh, the, even the 606, I feel like at this point. Um, I think at this point. Yeah. You know, we talk about it on the show, but I think it's a great pick. But. Mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, an easy one. But I will say, I went back because I was like, they've been to Chicago for this series before. Mm-hmm. And so I went back and looked at the other ones from 2016 and 2018. Because I remember those being real, both of them being really divisive when they came out. And I couldn't quite remember why. And when I went back and looked, I was like, aha, this is why. So in 2016, the the one they did was almost entirely in like, the the hip west western part of the city like mm-hmm. Ukrainian I'm village like west, it was like west loop wicker park i mean there was there was some good like there was some humble park picks in there too but it was like all concentrated in one place almost nothing near the lake um which i think was divisive for a couple different reasons and then in 2018 there were like no picks south of the loop at all <laughs> which <laughs> is never going to be a good look ever <laughs> um, whenever you're trying to give recommendations in Chicago so I will say as far as like just a straight map goes I think this has been one of the more uh you know diverse comparatively. Uh, yeah comparatively I, I mean as you said not getting not getting past sort of Hyde Park classic like, classic thing like just move a little bit further to like 75th Street. Chicago Defender just put out this great article about all of the businesses that are around 75th Street. I think there are something like 40 black owned businesses within like a two mile stretch. Ones that people have heard of, Limbs Barbecue, Brown Sugar Bakery, Soul Veg City. Uh, but, but then you got everything else uh, that you would need over there from jerk spots to uh you know hair care like clothing stores and little little shops as well and so they threw in uh a frank lloyd right they threw in the dusable museum in washington park uh but you know you gotta hit 75th street if you if you're gonna come this far yeah i will also say too like there are some picks that i would consider relatively like pullman national monument far south side this is a national monument Mm. Like, we've talked about it on the show several times. It's some some low-hanging fruit here. Yeah, like, that's a very, you know, stuff that I would still consider on the more sort of basic sort of, like, you know, it's not super slept on, but uh, it still gets you. Even sort like of the Garfield in- Park Conservatory. Like, yeah, th- there are these staples that will pull you to the f- to some of the, you know, the farthest of, of the south and the west side. If you just like if you try. Right. And if you stick into the 606 or if you own a divvy or something or the 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 ale, which was obviously suggested in the article, like these are still very easy things to get to. Yes. Yes. Even within the 36 hour time frame. Now, here here's my sort of overall hot take on this series, though, is um, 
I got to be honest. I think it's a troll. I absolutely do. I think, I think the New York Times. So here, like number one, number one is 36 hours in Chicago. It's not for Chicagoans. We, we spend every day here. We're here, you know, 20, 24, seven, 365. Uh, this 36 hours is not for us, but, but my sort of like conspiracy theory galaxy brain here is like, I don't know. I think the New York Times writes these up and like foments debate among the people who live in whatever city that they're writing about so that, you know, all of a sudden I care what the New York Times thinks I should be doing in the city I live in. And so that's 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 my take on this series. I mean, there's no shade to the work. I think, again, there's some really good wrecks here. Uh, and if you are visiting, you're not from here, um, I am sure it's a great place to start. Uh, but you know, I don't feel pressed about it. <laughs> Are there any picks on here, Jacoby, that you really liked? I, I mean, honestly, they're shopping at Andersonville. Again, if you go shop in a neighborhood and, and try to hit multiple spots, uh, hey, I, I, I can't hate on that. Uh, Women and Children First is a fantastic bookstore up in Andersonville. They typically get uh, great author events. The book selection is fantastic. The staff is wonderful. And so, yeah, that's a bookstore I love. Uh, to to go to whenever I'm up there. It's it's rare that I'm up there, but definitely one I like to stop into. I do think the picks are good. Each individual suggestion is a good suggestion. Like, there's nothing here that I would be like, oh, no, absolutely don't do that. It's not worth it. You know what I mean? I mean, some mm-hmm. of these restaurants I don't know as well, especially some of those, like, pricier restaurants um, that mm-hmm. I haven't been to. But, like, there's also stuff on here. So, like, Sfera, uh, which is an Italian cafe, sort of an s- Italian street food cafe in Edgewater. I pass by it all the time. I keep meaning to try it, and I haven't done it. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's some there's some good stuff here. Yeah. I visited the websites for Rare Form and Paper and Pencil. Um, I believe I stopped in Paper and Pencil uh, before, but Rare Form is one that I was like, oh, this seems like a, a, a Northside Silver Room-ish type place. I could stop in there. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, like you said, overall, I didn't... I don't know. Maybe you and I are just immune to these lists having that type of impact on it. I looked at it and was like, okay, mm, I, I see what you did there. Again, maybe get to Garfield Park, bring your ass to 75th Street. But other than that, I was like, oh, that makes sense for 36 hours. But if listeners and readers have their own 36 hours in Chicago, uh, you know, again, feel free to send us a very long email. We will read it. We will read it. And we might very well read it on the podcast. It's it's maybe my favorite thing to do, Jacoby, <laughs> is to read what listeners tell me on the podcast. I I truly enjoy it. I want to give another huge thank you to our lead producer, Simone Alisea. Huge shout out to everybody who wrote in or left us a voicemail this week. Uh, Thank you, Simone. Thanks, Jacoby. Before I let you go, for more news, including COPA's decision to close their investigation into migrant abuse at police stations, make sure you subscribe to Hey Chicago at chicago.citycast.fm. That's also where you'll find some of the best spots to watch this Sunday Chicago Marathon. Of course, I got to give you some good news. Latin Restaurant Week kicks off Friday, and for two weeks, you can enjoy deals from over 60 of Chicago's best restaurants. Check the show notes for the link. As always, we appreciate you for listening. We're back bright and early tomorrow. Talk to you then. Peace. Oh, my God. Fresh off of the most heartbreaking Bears loss I've experienced in years. <laughs> and just to see him sitting there damn near about to cry on the sideline at the end was 
Yeah, I won't let myself feel that kind of hope for years now. For years. <laughs> oh, man. It killed something right. inside of you. Yes. Yeah, that man. That. Here we go. Let's do this. Let's talk about some, let's talk about some good things.